All right, Steph, I've got a question for you. What's your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, you met her where? Oh, I thought you were going to say the Bible. Oh, oops. <laughs> oh. So what's your second favorite book of all time? You met her where? <laughs> <laughs> a distant second. Totally distant. It's a pretty good book. Sorry, God. It's still a pretty, pretty good book. But we're so excited. Where can people get our book? Honey? Okay, I know this. Uh, Amazon.com. Yes. Barnes & Noble. Yes, and? And our website, KevinStuff.com. And, and what happens if they buy it off our website? <gasps> what do they get? Uh, an autograph from us. Yes. Who wouldn't want that? Exactly. So, listeners, if you've already read the book, thank you so much. We've had such good feedback. One thing that helps us, if you can give us a review on Amazon.com, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we have a conversation with Phil Cook, who is an absolute rock star in the media industry. He is the founder and CEO of Cook Media Group. And wait till you hear some of the stories he has from filming in over 60 countries. Hope you enjoy this episode of Tell Us a Good Story. I am uber, uber excited about this next guest. Uh-huh. He is a very big deal. He's a big deal. And very hard to get an appointment with. Yes. And somehow, some way, we were able to get an appointment with him today. Thank he had an Jesus. open time slot. Yes. And he said yes to us. I don't know how, but thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so listeners, our next guest is a film producer, media consultant, professional speaker, founder and CEO of the Cook Media Group, and author of his newest book titled, Maximize Your Influence. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us Good Story, Mr. Phil Cook. Thank you. I'm very honored to be here. That's a very flattering introduction. I should hire you to come with me when I'm going to speak at places. That's good. <laughs> we will be there. You just let us know. Okay. Thank Deal. you, sir. Well, thank you for saying yes to us. Yes, we thank you. No, this is thrilling. That. Oh, my no, gosh. No, thrilled to do it. And second of all, Congratulations on when I watch your podcast. You have, sir, the absolute coolest background of anyone I've ever seen. Okay. It looks, Phil, like you are living in a museum or Steven Spielberg's house or a Hall of Fame because you have rows upon rows of trophies behind you. (laughs) <laughs> well, we shot in front of our trophy case for a while with our, in our company. And, uh, you know, we just, uh, we, that's a, kind of our altar where we worship from time to time. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's just a little ego boost to see the trophies and the, the awards we've won over the years. But yeah, we've moved it. I'm kind of moving back up to here where I am right now for some. Um, just at least my books make me look semi-intelligent. So I'm just trying to convey that. That helps. Yes. Now it looks like you're in a library. Yes. Yes. Yeah, there you go. So still. There you go. So what are the trophies? What are those awards for? Are those Oscars? Oh, you know, we, we're in the media business. We produce films, television programs, video things, commercial. We've done we've done Super Bowl commercials and PBS documentaries and all kind of things over the years. 
And so we, you know, from time to time, particularly when we're doing it for a client, we like to enter it in competition out there. And, and we've done, I have to admit, we've done quite well. And uh, we've been able to win a number of awards uh, from around the world. And so that's kind of, you know, it, it helps, helps us when we talk to clients. I mean, they love to have an award-winning producer right. working for them. So there you go. So, yeah, that's mostly stuff just for the work we've done over the years. I don't think people, he's so humble. That is very he's humble. He's so humble because are they Oscars or Academy? What are they? No, no, no. They're mostly for uh, all different kind of things. There's some for religious and inspirational programming. There's some for an industrial kind of, kind of business promotional marketing kind of things. Some for com- a lot, actually a lot for commercials. You know, we we we've done tons of commercials over the years. A number for documentaries and things like that. And so well, I'm a member of the Television Academy that does the Emmys, and and uh, so. I, I've been a, I've been a judge for the Emmys a number of times, but most of the stuff we do, I mean, we've done all kind of things over the years, but we really have a heart for helping Christians share their story in the media. Mm. And so, you know, we jokingly tell people we help Christians not suck at the media. And if you've seen <laughs> if you've seen much Christian TV or Christian movies, you know there's a lot of work to be done in that department. We're we're going to be quite busy for a long time. And so, th- there's just not you know when it comes to the Academy Awards or Emmys. They're just not really fashion for people trying to tell their story about Jesus through the media. So we don't uh, really enter those very much, but uh, we've had we've been very fortunate over the years. Well, Phil, you are very humble. Very humble. If Steph and I had half of those awards, we would be putting them in our foyer as soon as you walk in our house with like canned lights. Music starts to playing as soon as people open the door. Like, and like, oh, yep. I'm sorry. Did you see oh, our trophies? Yes. Did the you spotlights? see everything that we have? Don't touch. Don't yes. touch. <laughs> just, just look. <laughs> <laughs> so we, of course, have a podcast called Tell Us a Good Story. Okay. We are all about stories. And you actually wrote a blog post on your website that I thought was very interesting. And it was titled, How You Tell the Story is just as important as the story you tell. Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Because we've, we've interviewed lots of people, and not everybody can tell a good story, mm-hmm. right? And so oh, you, boy, that's true. you really have to edit some of these conversations. So for you, what makes a good story and how people tell it? Well, I think it's a good topic for Christians, especially. And I'll tell you why. I, I, we live and work here in Hollywood in Los Angeles. And a lot of people will send us screenplays, send us short films they've done. And they'll tell me, you know, I, I really felt called to write this or I really am passionate about writing. And I want to say, yeah, but you're really terrible at it. It's horrible. <laughs> And, and very often as Christians, we feel called to something. So we just jump in and do it. Or, you know, we feel passionate about something. So we jump in and do it, never thinking about, wait a second, it takes a professional writer years of training to prepare an actor years of study to prepare. And so I think very often we just forget. I, I told someone yesterday that I don't think I'd have brain surgery from a doctor who told me that, uh, well, he never really had time for medical school. Right. Mm. And so, and yet very often I get pitched movies and projects all the time from Christians who say, well, you know, I, ne- I didn't really have time to go to film school or, you know, God just called me to do this. So I jumped right in. Well, I do think that how we tell that story is just as important as the story we tell. So no matter how great the story you have, and the truth is Christians have great stories. We're telling the greatest story ever told, like that movie right. from the sixties, but we need to take the time to learn the skill. I have a big 
saying to people who are coming to Hollywood, if they're coming to Hollywood to being in the industry in particular, I always tell them, don't lead with your faith, lead with your talent. So often we'll get these young people who will come out and say, you know, God told me to come to change Hollywood. And they'll go to, to a studio and they'll tell that to a producer and they just get ridiculed. They get laughed off the lot. But instead, if you come out here and you're a brilliant writer or a brilliant actor, a great producer, and you get their attention that way, then they'll listen to just about anything you have to say. So I think that we just need to understand that leading with our talent matters, but we have to be really good at what we do. And if we can do that, that's what really gets the attention of the world. So what brought you to Hollywood? I got fired. Um, I got fired. I actually uh, uh, was, I was 36 years old. I was working in the Midwest. Um, I got fired from my job and I, I knew that I was supposed to come to LA. I, I really had felt for a long time God was calling me to Hollywood. And, um, but I'm, I'm the king of rationalization. I rationalize better than anybody. Our kids were in good schools. We had a great church. We had friends there in the Midwest and we, we really, you know, love that community. And I, so I started rationalizing and I thought, well, God, maybe I can, maybe I can commute. Maybe I'll just fly out every couple of weeks. And, um, I ended up getting, a producing a commercial for Disney for one of their movies, a movie trailer for one of their big movies. And I ended up flying back and forth to LA seven times in two weeks. Oh my God. And I realized at that point, eh, this is not going to work. And so I just kept hanging on and lo and behold, God fired me. And I think it was because I just wouldn't take that step. I think very often we're so nervous about taking that step and doing what God's called us to do. And very often God will step in, I think, and, and fire us. So I don't hold that organization responsible or the guy who fired me. He actually did me a favor, but it allowed us, it really forced me to get out. There was nothing else for us to do in that, that city. And it forced us to get out. We moved out here in 1991, launched the company, and uh, the rest is history. Wow. 30 years later. Oh, Almost oh, yeah. 30 years later. My goodness. Yeah, it is. Well, we, we were talking about, well, I was talking about that with our team this morning. 30 years. It's hard to believe. It's, I don't know where they went, but uh, yeah, time passes. Oh my gosh. What part of the Midwest were you in, Phil? Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was actually, I'd gone to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, uh, came to LA for a year and realized it was a freelance world back then. And there wasn't independent production like there is now. And you had to pretty much be a member of the union, which was impossible in those days. And so I realized I better get a steady job because I was getting married. And so I went back to Tulsa and worked for a year for the ministry, for Oral Roberts Ministry, producing their big global television specials. And um, I was there until 91, and I got fired by a new leadership team that came in. And um, it was the best thing that ever happened. So I, I'm, I, it's funny. The irony is I'm a visiting professor at ORU now. I'm teaching in their film and television department. But it got me to L.A. And, and uh, we've been able to work with some of the largest churches and ministry organizations and nonprofits in the world. So it was a really good, good move for me. Oh, that is phenomenal. That's phenomenal. So if you get fired from your podcast, there is hope. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> some some great tips by Bill Cook here. Just for what it's worth, yeah. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> so, well, I, I am a I am a big believer that we hit the wall sometimes, and we do it just because we won't let go and let God do what He wants to do in our life. Yes. And so, it took me. I had to hit that wall, I think. And uh, once I did, though, I realized I should have done it six or eight years earlier. And um, and I, I do think it cost me a significant number of years when I should have stepped out earlier. So. Yeah, it does matter. It's interesting. Wow. That's so good. Steph, who are some of our favorite people in the world? Without a doubt, the Fry family. Absolutely. And that family has owned and operated a local gym since 1997. 
FlexFit Community Gym offers a wide variety of fitness programs that are motivating and in a family-friendly environment. They provide personal training, group training, and monthly memberships starting at just $19.99. Their family gym is right off Worthington Road and 161 near New Albany. If you would like to book a free appointment or just let them know how they can better serve you, go to their Facebook page at FlexFit Community Gym. That's FlexFit. Fit Community Gym. They are a proud sponsor of Tell Us a Good Story. Steph, we, we're all about stories here. Yes. Okay. And I intentionally did not tell you this, these details. Okay. okay. So Phil here has filmed in more than 60 countries. Okay. And while he's been doing this, he has been shot at, survived two military coups, Fallen out of a helicopter, which I'm not sure how you fall out of a helicopter. We're yeah. going to find out. We're going to find out. We're going to find out how. And when he was in Africa, he was threatened with being put in prison. Oh, my. Okay. That story's in itself yeah. right there. Yes. Well, well, the neat, the interesting thing about working with Christian organizations, I have to say, is Christian organizations are doing remarkable things around the world and some in some very remote places around the world where it could be slightly dangerous. So uh, I was I was shooting documentaries, doing different projects when those things happened. And um, yeah, you get it's great stories for the grandkids. I'll oh, my tell you that. gosh. So where were you shot at? Uganda, actually, uh, we, uh, both in Uganda and Nigeria, we went through a military coup in Nigeria and um, the royal family had been deposed and um, we were trying to get to a place to film and there was a few roadblocks thrown up that they didn't want us there and we realized there was some civil unrest going on at the time and suddenly we're caught in the crossfire and, and um, we, we bolted out of there really quick and th- those kind of moments get you right with God. I bet. <laughs> really fast. So yeah, that's interesting. Then what about the the helicopter? How did you fall out of a helicopter? Well, I was Phil? we we were I was in Jamaica, K- Kingston, Jamaica, and we were filming a uh, actually it was an evangelistic event at the National Stadium in Kingston, and it was a beautiful outdoor stadium, giant stadium. And um, I realized about halfway through the day that this place is going to be packed. It's going to be totally filled, and it started in the early evening. And I thought, man, it would be cool to get a helicopter shot of the crusade. Now, this is before drones were invented. And so right. you had to use real helicopters. And I've, I'd shot a lot of helicopter footage around the world over the years. And um, so I, at the time in Jamaica, there was no no uh, helicopter outfitted for photography. But I heard the Red Stripe Brewing Company, the beer company there, had a Bell Jet Ranger, which is one of the best was one of the best helicopters at the time. So I went racing across the island, talk actually talked them in to let me have it for an hour. Wow. And so it wasn't rigged for filming. So we took the door off. I sat in the side with my feet out on the little runners out there. And they tie, the pilot tied me in with a rope. And uh, the problem was none of us realized there was an extra loop in the rope that no, nobody saw. And so um, we took off and headed out towards Kingston Bay, towards the stadium. And as we turned to go over the bay, um, I literally slid, <laughs> slid right out because that rope didn't catch. Oh, no. And uh, it finally did. And I was dangling by the rope underneath the <laughs> helicopter. And, you know, it, you, the only thing I could think of was keep the shot in focus. <laughs> And um, he saw it and jerked the helicopter back and threw me back into the, the body of the chopper. And I, I uh, rearranged that rope real fast. And we went out and got the shot. And it ended up being fantastic. So uh, it was, you know, one of those <laughs> get right with God moments. Oh, but my gosh. It was interesting. Yeah. So you're dangling. And then he yeah. adjusted 
to where you were able yeah, to get he back pulled me in. in. If, I think if he, I think if he shoved it harder, I'd have probably gone up into the blades. But fortunately, he was an experienced guy and knew exactly how to get me back in there. So it was interesting. Oh my gosh! Oh, but nothing like dangling. All, my goodness! All to get the shot stuff. But he got the shot. Got the shot. He got the shot. That's what's important. Oh he my got the gosh! Shot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Pain is temporary. Film is forever. Right. There you go. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I discovered I discovered over the years that that Vietnam. This is a little tip for you. Okay. Vietnam medevac pilots are the best because they're used to being shot at. They're used to going in incredibly dangerous situations. Uh, and so I've shot in downtown Manhattan from a helicopter. I've shot all over the place. And when you're going around buildings and the wind is blowing, you want a guy that really knows what he's doing. And and um, those old Vietnamese Vietnam medevac pilots from that war. Those guys were just incredible, and um, so I always enjoy working with them. So oh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, that is so cool. I would have never thought about that, but you're absolutely right, Steph. You're on the so edge you of your find seat. Find out little secrets. Oh my gosh, I'm like here. I'm yeah, here. Like, I hope I don't <laughs> fall off my chair instead of a helicopter. I'll fall off my chair. <laughs> so let's keep going with that. So as you are filming, yeah, what other surprises, Phil, have you run into while you're? on the set or trying to film a documentary where things just pop out of nowhere that you did not expect at all. It was funny. I did a, I did a little online teaching yesterday about how to shoot a, a, a great video interview because okay. so many short video, you know, today short videos are the number one marketing tool in America and churches, ministry organizations, nonprofits, businesses are using them like crazy. But the problem is most short videos are built around an interview with somebody, maybe somebody whose life has been transformed or maybe somebody whose family has been put back together, their business, you know, uh, saved, whatever. Problem is most people just don't interview people well. And one of the things I was encouraging producers do to do in the teaching is always be ready for something off the wall to happen because in most cases it will. I did an interview with a woman years ago. She'd actually had a dramatic healing in her life when she was in her early 50s. And uh, we wanted to track her down to see if it was real and if it actually worked. And it was 40 some years later, she was in her mid to late 90s. And we tracked her down. She had a little bitty house. She lived in Ohio. We tracked her down. As I'm coming up the steps onto the front porch with my crew and my lights and my camera gear, I met her. She was very nice. And she said, you know, I think maybe you should read this letter before we start. And she handed me a letter. And it's from her doctor. And uh, it said she's, she, her heart is in such bad shape that any excitement at all could literally push her over the edge and kill her at any moment. <laughs> and I just freaked out. I thought, oh, stop, stop. So I got the guys out of the house. And we set up the lights on the porch so they would shine through her window, her front window. We set her chair where we could light her through the front porch. My cameraman literally cradled the camera in his, in his arms so that we never had to set up a tripod in the house. We never had any lights in the house. And for her, it was just a conversation with her and me. And um, those kind of moments you have to just be ready for to figure out how to, how to overcome and how to get the shot and how to do it. So we've encountered that. I mean, I've been to the headwaters of the Amazon River where the only way we could take a bath was with piranha. And you learn to build a little screen cage so you can get in the river to take a bath or, or have somebody with a boat paddle that hits the water while you're taking a bath that scares the fish away. And um, you just get some interesting situations that are kind of funny in retrospect not so funny and it's nothing like climbing into a river with piranha to take a bath so i bet your wife uh, doesn't think those are funny oh no not gosh. so much <laughs> do you not tell her until once you're home that like this what's is going on yes. oh yeah no i never do that yeah never yeah that's yeah. the rule never talk about that stuff to her at home and then back in those days i was in the amazon for a month uh filming 
before I we could we we didn't have phone contact. We were so far into the into the jungle that there was just no way to reach out. So I was gone. I was off the radar for a month, and so I couldn't we couldn't chat about that stuff anyway. So it worked out for the best. Oh my, oh my goodness! So Phil, what is I guess one of the more interesting or memorable places then outside of getting shot at? Yeah. That you filmed because you've been all over the world here. Well, in, in November, we did a documentary um, called Inexplicable, Inexplicable. It was the rise of Christianity in Asia. And uh, a lot of people, you know, there's very little Christian trace in Asia. And most people don't know that there was actually a vital Christian community in most countries in Asia shortly after Jesus' resurrection. And so we, we filmed in India, Mongolia, China. Uh, Japan and Korea. And um, we had some interesting situations, certainly in Mongolia. I'd never been to Mongolia before. And um, it gets Ulaanbaatar, which is the capital of Mongolia, is the coldest capital on the planet. And we were filming um, almost in December. It was late November. And there was snow, tons of snow everywhere. And it was probably the coldest I've ever been. We had to constantly check the camera gear because it was freezing up on us. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine the packing he'd have to do? for all of that (laughs) right yeah well we yeah we have to wash clothes a few times on a trip like that that's for sure but all the equipment going from freezing to china to like all the weather you know travel is a big deal with me i i uh i I travel about a quarter of a million miles a year um, because we're, we're on the road so much and about five or six years ago i had kind of a little moment you know i had this breakdown moment where I thought, if I have to get in a plane one more time, I'm going to put a gun to my head. Mm-hmm. And it was like God came, God, God very clearly said, but hey, you have no other skills. This is all you know how to do. And um, so I just made peace with it. And I, I bought, you know, I got the membership to the airline clubs. I started investing in really good luggage because I live in my right. luggage. Right. And so uh, you do, you, we started modifying it and I've really embraced it. And actually I had to, during this lockdown in the last six months, I've had to apologize to God for ever complaining about travel because I've been stuck at home right. this whole time. What's it been like there in LA during this lockdown? Right. Well, as you probably know, California is the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. I think the yes. leadership in, in California thinks we're all children. Um, the churches still can't meet. Um, you know, we, we can, I can get on a plane with 350 other people sitting side by side for four and a half hours, but we can't have 50 to 100 people in a church service. So it's, uh, the, 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 I think the, in, in most of this lockdown, we haven't been able to go to a barbershop or a beauty shop. So, you know, 12 people in a barbershop. No, but you can have people in casinos. You can have people in an airplane. It's just the rules have been just really wacky. And, and, and that's the thing. It's not that we don't believe the virus is serious and we don't believe it's real or anything like that, but it's the rules have been so random and so poorly thought out that it's, yeah. And now our governor just released new rules for Thanksgiving. You know, he wants everybody to put their mask on between bites. Oh no. He doesn't want families of more than six people to get together. Uh, it just, the rules go on and on and on and on and talk about micromanaging your life. That's right. um, one of the reasons people are racing out of California at record levels, because I think they're just getting tired of their whole lives being micromanaged at that level. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause we've seen a lot in the media here mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. homelessness, about mm-hmm. oh. the lockdowns, about the mass exodus, right? Mm-hmm. Out of California. Yeah. So I was curious what it was like where well, it you was were at. Really like, yeah. For some reason, we we're not really believing the media right now. So yeah. we we're just curious what it was really no, no, blame like. You. Well, the, the Los Angeles Times reported last week that five homeless people die every day in Los Angeles. 
Um, San Francisco, uh, NBC reported that, that 144 blocks of downtown San Francisco have human feces on them. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, n- hypodermic needles everywhere. Skid Row here in L.A., which is the heart of the homeless area. Um, the, the bubonic plague broke out last year. And so it's just tragic. And, and also what you see in the entertainment industry and the media industry here is interesting that people want to be in movies and in television so badly that they'll come out here even if they can't afford an apartment. And so what you'll find is hundreds of people are living in their car. They're, they're not homeless. Um, they could live anywhere else they wanted to, but they just can't afford to live in Hollywood. So they'll generally live in their car. They'll get a membership at a health club. So they'll get up in the morning, go to the health club, go to the gym, have a shower, clean up, and then go to auditions all day for acting or go to meetings for their television script or whatever and then go back at night and live in their car. In fact, most parks here in North Hollywood and this area of the Valley, every night they're surrounded by cars and RVs that are homeless actors, producers, writers, directors that are trying to make a living in Hollywood, living out of their car, out of their vehicle. So it's a really strange moment in the history of California right now. I would not have Mm, thought about that. I wouldn't have either. I totally get it. Well, you you joked, Phil, about not having other skills, right? But (laughs) let me brag on you for a moment here, okay? Uh For Steph and our listeners, okay? So in addition, Steph, to what I mentioned earlier in the introduction, Mm -hmm. okay? Phil here is the executive producer of Let Hope Rise, the Hillsong movie, (gasps) which, which was one of our favorite documentaries. Phil. Phil, it was so good. So good. So good. So good. He's appeared on NBC, MSNBC, CNBC, CNN, Fox News, and he's been profiled in the New York Times, LA Times, Wall Street Journal. His book, One Big Thing, was named by the Washington Post as one of the top five business books in 2012. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. My gosh. He's lectured at universities like Yale, Cal at Berkeley, UCLA, and like he said earlier, is, is currently a professor, visiting professor at Oral Roberts University. In addition to writing his blog at philcook.com, he's contributed to the Huffington Post, Fast Company, Forbes, Wired, and foxnews.com. Oh, we're still going. We're still going. We're still going. He's That's on, all right. You can take a break. He's <laughs> on multiple advisory boards, including the Salvation Army. He has three degrees from Oral Roberts University, Oklahoma, and then got his PhD in theology at Trinity College and Seminary. So my question, Phil, I guess, first of all, is when exactly do you sleep? When do you sleep? Oh when my do gosh. you do all of this? When no, you're in it's... Mongolia, how, how are you doing this? <laughs> Thank you, laptop computers. That's my life. Um, well, you know, it's interesting that uh, I'm obsessive about writing. I have to admit, I've, I've knocked out about seven books so far and I write my blog almost every day. And um, But I'm just obsessive about writing. I don't do it because I get paid for it. I don't do it. Um, I just do it because I have to do it. And um, I think that's a real sign of somebody you want to work with, somebody who's going to be driven to do whatever it is they do um, all the time. And I just feel that way about writing. I just love it. And um, I think I'm at my best when I'm sitting at my desk working on a book or working on a blog post or working on a script for a client. Um, I just, I just really love doing it. So when you love it, you know, it's funny, I was filming, I was doing a scene in a movie in Italy, uh, years ago and it was in the middle of the night, it was like three in the morning and we were shooting a scene on this hillside. It was pouring down raining. It was freezing cold. I was, everybody was absolutely miserable, but we had to get the shot. And right in the middle of all that pain and agony, the thought occurred to me 
that I'm having the time of my life, that mm. this is what I was born to do. And I think that that's a real sign that uh, this is your one big thing. This is the thing God's called you to do when no matter how desperate or difficult it gets, you feel like I'm in the zone and this is what I was born to do. So that's that makes it a lot easier, I think, and 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 I think is helps you crank that kind of stuff out. Makes Gosh. a big difference. So, Phil, I mean, speaking of that, at what point after you got fired, right, and you you yeah. moved on and you felt like, okay, now I'm doing God's assignment, right? You feel like you were forced to actually go this path. At what point, yeah. what did it feel like, okay, this was what I was meant to do? Mm. Actually, that happened in college. I, I was, uh, when I was in high school, I had a, you know, I, I was a pastor's kid, grew up in North Carolina. I was a pastor's kid. I mowed the cemetery in a hundred year old, I mowed the grass in a hundred year old cemetery. I filled up 10 million communion cups over the years growing up. But one of the things I really loved doing with my friends was making movies. And it never occurred to us, never, the thought never occurred to us, you could do this for a living. We just enjoyed doing it. And we took my dad's Super 8 movie camera back in those days. This is before home video. And we had a little three uh, three minute reels of film. And we would make mafia movies and army movies and space movies and all kinds of stuff. Well, I never thought that uh, this is a career, but I decided to take my camera and my, my little movies to college. And so I went a thousand miles away to ORU in Tulsa. And the first day, literally I was unpacking a couple of the films fell out of my suitcase and a guy across the hall had, was a film student. And he said, Hey, I, I take film classes here and I can show you how to edit those movies. And I, I didn't even, I, I was so ignorant. I didn't even know you could edit film. So um, we went down that night to the film lab and we started working on my movie and he was showing me how to edit the thing together. And the film professor happened to be there working on a, a project and late, late, late into the evening, he was leaving and he walked by our little desk and he said, uh, you know, I've been watching your film out of the corner of my eye. And he said, I've got students that have been taking film class for three or four years that still don't do this well. He said, would you mind if I showed your movie to my class tomorrow? And I thought, well, you know, if I can sit on the back row and hear what they have to say, sure. So he showed my movie to the class. I sat on the back row. And the interesting thing was at the end of the film, and it was nothing to scream about, trust me, it was no great shakes. But at the end of the film, they talked about it. And this idea hit me. It was a, probably the most crystal clear moment of revelation I've ever had in my whole life, that if I can do something with a camera that makes people talk like this, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. And so I literally changed my major that day mm -hmm. to film, media, television, and uh, never looked back from that point on. So that was really the turning point for me where I realized this is something that I need to be doing. Wow. So we talked earlier mm -hmm. about the Hillsong documentary. So good. Yeah. So good. It's so good. What, so what was your uh, participation, I guess, in that? So I know you're executive producer, but mm -hmm. what does that mean? Does that mean you're on-site filming? Does that mean they bring you the film and you've got to put the story together? What, no, what exactly uh, does that mean? It's always, it's always a little different. Generally speaking, the executive producer is the guy that raises the money for the project, which is what I did okay. on this particular project. Um, and he's also intimately involved in it. I wasn't on the set every time. We, they were filming. We, we filmed their world tour of yes. Hillsong United, and uh, we shot them around the world. So we had a great team that we'd put together for them. And I was much more involved in the post, you know, because in a documentary, that's where the a lot of the storytelling happens is how you all edit it all together. Because when you're filming, you're just grabbing whatever you can. And so um, that was a, that was a really interesting experience. And, and we came up with the idea of doing the film because we went to the Hollywood bowl to see Holly, uh, uh, see uh, Hillsong United. And there was literally standing room only. And I thought, mm. you know what? Standing room only at the Hollywood bowl 
It had been the same at Red Rocks, the big outdoor theater in, in Colorado. And um, I thought, okay, there's something here that people need to see. And certainly non-believers, even people that aren't even remotely Christian love Hillsong. And right. so we thought maybe it's time to make a movie about this. So um, we did and had, had a lot of, had a lot of issues with it. And, and over, you know, anytime you launch a movie project, it's really difficult. You want to kill yourself two or three times during the making of it. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of funding sources ended up drying up and not working out the way they said they would. And just a lot of big issues, but it finally did come out and uh, we were able to distribute it all over the place. And it was, it was really an interesting experience. I, I just love documentaries. I like telling real stories about what goes on in people's lives. And we've been very fortunate in that area. Mm. Now, you have written several books at this point, and you, mm -hmm. you have a new book out titled yeah. Maximize Your Influence. Can you tell us what that is? for Christian leaders. Yeah, um, in a moment of shameless self-promotion, you mean? Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I wrote it largely because, I wrote it largely for, for church leaders and ministry leaders or people who are really serious about evangelism, largely because seminaries, Bible schools teach leaders how to preach. They teach them how to you know, run a church or manage a ministry. They don't teach them anything about media. Right. And we live in this media-driven culture today. I saw a statistic um, to just this morning that said the, a study two years ago indicated we touch our phones an average of 2,100 times a day. Think oh. about that. Um, the average person today sees about 10,000 media messages every single day. And in that world, how do you cut through all of that clutter and get your message heard? And that's the thing that needs to drive more churches, pastors, ministry leaders. And, and it's interesting that we've seen during this live streaming, during, during the shutdown, when churches were shut down, Lifeway Research said that before the shutdown, 41% of churches in America had never offered anything online. No resources, no services, nothing for wow. their people. And so what we're seeing is that shutdown, I think th those pastors suddenly had to change their thinking really, really quick. And I think if, there, if there's anything good that's come out of this whole virus, it's that pastors and ministry and church leaders are starting to realize, you know, that, that online audience is a legitimate congregation, and I need to be intentional about reaching them and, and sharing the gospel with them just as much as anything else. So I've been really interested in seeing. It's kind of funny that I can look out my window over there. You can see a little bit of it, and I, I'm, I can look over the valley, and from here in my home office, I can see Walt Disney Studios, Warner Brothers Studios, Universal Studios, and for the last eight months, they've been ghost towns. Yes. They've been shut down completely. They're only now starting to ramp back up again for production, which means that for the last six or eight months, the church worldwide has produced more media than Hollywood has. Oh, and the church yes. in the most cases have really, they've really stepped up and done a remarkable job. So I, I wrote this book really as a reference for pastors, church leaders, anybody that's serious about the gospel to understand how to use media more effectively. How do you preach to a digital generation? How do you do you use your iPhone for notes up on stage? You've seen pastors right. do that and screw up, you yes. know, big time um, over and over and over. How do you do a presentation to these days? How do you do social media? Why do you do it? What about a website? What's its purpose? Just the things that leaders need to be thinking about today when it comes to engaging media at some level and, and sharing their message. Well, we became aware of you a couple of years ago when you actually spoke at our church here in New Albany, Ohio, mm -hmm. Faith Life Church. And you came across incredibly impressive. Oh, you're amazing. 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 The stories. <laughs> and and I, I'm going to be honest. When, I, when we see a guest speaker, let me say we, 
when I see a guest speaker, I have a short attention span on, is this worth my time? Well, because our pastor, Pastor Gary, is so, so good. good. He and Pastor yeah. Brenda are both he is so, so good. good. Yeah. Right? That's true. And so Phil comes in and just blew it out of the water. Amazing. Incredible. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, we would love to talk to that man because I believe you helped Pastor Gary and Drenda set up their TV ministry. And Pastor Gary even today still talks about how scared he was and how yeah. out of the box that was for him because he's very an introverted type mm-hmm. of a guy. So to yeah. be on TV was just incredibly scary. And I believe you were the individual who came in and helped set up that TV ministry yeah. for our church. So I, I was actually very nervous when he came to us because you're right. He's an introvert. He's a real low key guy and he's not, he's not over the top in any way at all, which usually you normally think of television. You want somebody that's right. kind of really engaged. Charismatic, yes. Yeah. But in his case, he's just really, really smart. And um, I think he has a real anointing on his life. So he doesn't have to be over the top. And uh, I think he's done really, really well. I'm really proud of what those both of them have done. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, listeners, for more information about Phil and to get a copy of his new book, I would highly encourage highly you recommend it. go to his website at philcook.com. That's cook with an E. You should also check out the Phil Cook podcast on both Apple Podcasts and YouTube. So, Phil, thank you so much for saying yes thank to us. You, you have no oh, idea yeah, how much this meant to us. This was really, really fun. That was, uh, it was, uh, I, I should just, just replay this every time I'm feeling depressed because you guys are so good. <laughs> it's great. Thank you, <laughs> sir. Thank you, sir. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to support this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts. You can rate and review this episode. Also, for those who have asked us how to financially support, you can go to kevinandsteph.com and order one of our books of You Met Her Where. Thank you so much for listening to Tell Us a Good Story.